Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad to have you with us this week. Glad to be back in the host seat. Our guest this week, Paul Swangard, the Managing Director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. We're going to discuss DirecTV's battle with Versus. There's a Tuesday deadline in that battle we'll discuss. We'll also talk about the marketability and believability of Brett Favre. And we'll discuss Paul's upcoming trip to China with the students from the Warsaw Center. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. You can become our Facebook friend and follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. SB Radio is my Twitter handle, coming up on a 1,000 followers, so uh, thanks for everyone that's following us on Twitter. Joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and the esteemed Nathan Roach, who did a great job hosting the show last week with Bobby. Thanks, guys, while I was uh, off vacationing in uh, Maui. Those are big shoes to fill. You know, I always like being in the co-pilot's chair. I feel a little more comfortable because I, I just have to live up to this expectation of Brian Berger. The hey, I wear a size nine. It's, you know, it's not hard to fill my shoes. It was actually really great being in Maui, obviously relaxing, but had a chance to uh, stop into uh, Kapalua. Didn't play golf, had my daughter with me, so kind of did the, the daddy-daughter week and went to the beach and relaxed and hung out. Picked pineapples. That was kind of cool up near the plantation course. If you're ever in Maui, go stop by the uh, Maui Gold pineapple plantation and uh, check that out but plantation course looks as good as ever and uh, didn't seem like the economy is hurting them too badly the course looked like it was uh, receiving a a good amount of play but the course is not going to host a pga event is that accurate no they have the mercedes championships coming up i wasn't sure if it was coming back but the lpga event that was there is not coming back they lost their sponsor a few months ago so you know it's no secret that hawaii has been hit hard by the economy tourism down over there, but uh, I spent some time in Wailea and in Kanapali Beach, and those places didn't look like they were being negatively affected by the economy. A lot of a lot of people milling around there, so it's good to be back. We've got lots of headlines coming up. The Cub sale finally complete. Seems like this has been going on forever. We'll talk about that and other things. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the Tribune Company announced that it has signed an agreement to sell the Chicago Cubs and related assets to the Ricketts family. The Ricketts will pay about $800 million to acquire a 95% interest in a package of assets. The Cubs, Wrigley Field, and the Tribune Company's 25% stake in CSN Chicago. The agreement values the team and related assets at about $845 million. Now, here's what's interesting, Nathan, is there's going to be about 200 to $250 million in uh, new work done to Wrigley Field. I mean, obviously Wrigley Field, one of the older venues in Major League Baseball, and people have said, what can you do to get more revenues coming in? Because, you know, it's not a huge ballpark, and there are challenges because it's so old, so they might create new bars, restaurants. Uh, there's going to be some retail outlets created. So if you go to Wrigley Field in a few years, you might see a different-looking Wrigley Field, even though it will be the same seating bowl. Well, I was going to say, you have to tread lightly, I think, with Wrigley Field, as you would with Fenway and the old Yankee Stadium, because there's going to be an uproar in Chicago if they do too much to change. And I know the seating won't change, but there's something nostalgic and historic about Wrigley Field that if you put a bunch of new bars and fancy restaurants and nice retail shops it's not going to have that same look and feel. So I think it's, uh, you know, you got you really got to tread lightly there. It sounds like most of the work would be done outside the main ballpark. So right in the surrounding area, some of that land is now parking lots. So they might turn that into restaurants, retail outlets. And then they've even talked about doing like a Cubs Hall of Fame, which would be kind of cool. So they might jazz it up a little bit. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what the Ricketts do. The Cubs, one of the highest payrolls in baseball this year, doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. Not a great return on investment. They're paying manager Lou Pinella a lot of money. Will the Ricketts come in, clean house, do things their way, or will they take over what's already there and what the Tribune Company has laid in place to this point? We will see. Our next headline. The advertising market is moving at a glacial pace for two of the biggest ticket items for 2010, Super Bowl 44 and the Winter Olympics. This according to... Aaron and Mickle of Sports Business Journal. So CBS and NBC still have a considerable amount of inventory to sell for each of these events, which are less than six months away. Uh, a 32nd position during the Super Bowl is going to be less than it was last year. So for the last several years, Nathan, you know, last year, $3 million for a 32nd spot during the Super Bowl. We've seen the prices escalate each year. This looks like that trend is going to halt, and because of such a poor economy, so many companies cutting their budgets, their car companies especially, now we're going to see spots sell for less than they did last year. Well, I think this will be interesting because you might see some companies that we haven't seen before spend all their marketing dollars because now maybe they can afford a Super Bowl spot as where they couldn't last year. So I think you might see some different ads this year. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see because you've got these two big events with lots of eyeballs. If you're a company and you can't afford to buy a spot for the Super Bowl and the Olympics, 
Where do you spend your money? I buy, I buy the Super Bowl, absolutely. The Winter Olympics is not nearly as popular as the Summer Olympics. I definitely put my money in the Super Bowl. But let me play devil's advocate. Please. Yes, Super Bowl gets a ton of viewers, but what if you could buy multiple spots for the Olympics with the same amount of money that you'd spend on a 30-second spot for the Super Bowl? I think it's a crapshoot. I think it's a crapshoot because you don't know how those events are going to play out. The Super Bowl, you know that everybody's going to watch the Super Bowl. You don't know if everybody's going to watch skiing or ice skating or, you know, speed skating. So I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot. Bobby Corser, your thoughts on this. What would you do if you were CEO and you had to make a decision, Super Bowl or Winter Olympics? I'm taking taking Winter Olympics exposure over the Super Bowl. It's a longer event, more TV time. For the amount of money you're paying for the 30-second spot, though, you can get so much more bang for your buck, though, spread out than just one day. See, what I would do if they're selling it this way, and I think they are— them being NBC with the Olympics, if you can spend the same amount of money that you'd spend on a 30-second spot for the Super Bowl to make a buy for the Olympics and you'd get online exposure, you would get multiple spots during multiple dates on TV, I think your money might go different. But, Nathan, I totally see where you're coming from. You know that people are going to be tuning into the Super Bowl unless it's a blowout. Now, the last few have been very competitive, Giants and Patriots, and then last year, Cardinals and Steelers. But we've seen some blowout Super Bowls before, and if – you have the spot in the fourth quarter, and it's a blowout game? Bummer. Yeah, real big bummer. Speaking of the Olympics, this is an amazing story. The IOC promised on Wednesday to help bail out the Vancouver Olympic Committee if it fails to balance its operating budget by the time the 2010 Vancouver Olympics conclude. This is according to the Globe and Mail. This is a first for the IOC. They've never done this before, and it's expected that the budget is going to be over by about 40 million dollars i'll tell you what the ioc is setting a very dangerous precedent here because you know that all the future olympics if they go over budget they're going to go look you did this for vancouver you bailed them out i want to be bailed out too well yeah and i think that maybe people will set their budgets a little bit higher i mean usually the olympics is a cash cow so this is kind of new territory if you will for the ioc I think it'll be interesting to see how it shapes up in the future. If the economy bounces back, I don't see this happening again. Well, and it's also, you mentioned the Olympics is a cash cow. Is it? It's going to be real interesting to see. This is really the first Olympics with this horrible economy. How is it going to affect? Are there going to be as many people? Are there going to be sponsors that are able to jump in like they were before? Probably not. I personally, and I know I'm in the minority here, I think the Olympics is like a totally outdated thing. I think we have international competition in golf, in tennis. We're seeing it in basketball and in other sports. We see that players from around the world come to the United States to play and compete against each other. And I just think now we're going to talk to Paul Swangard in segment four, but you look at these venues that are left behind in China and in Athens, and obviously we're going to see in Vancouver – they're, they're ghost towns. They're not used for anything. You've spent billions of dollars as the local city uh, building all these places, the bird's nest in, in Beijing, and now they're collecting cobwebs. I mean, it, it's a waste of money. Well, I disagree because I grew up just outside of Squaw Valley, and the Olympics were there, you know, what, 30, 40 years ago, and it's still a huge, huge tourist attraction. To say that you went and skied Squaw at an Olympic venue, people are still going there so it's become a tourist attraction they might not use it for for sports as much anymore but it's such a tourist trap. so maybe it's more the summer venues i mean the bird's nest i think they've hosted like an opera and and that's about it and right. 
you know, what do you do with that? And, and in Athens, they haven't done anything, and they spent all this money on these venues. And, and like I said, they're ghost towns. So our last headline of the week, definitely want to get your guys' thoughts on this. NBC this week announced that Bob Costas will host Football Night in America from the site of the Sunday night football game this season rather than in NBC studios in New York. The move is part of an effort to put more emphasis on the Sunday night football matchup during Football Night in America. So Costas is going to be in the broadcast booth with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. And then back in New York, in the studios, you're going to have Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, and Peter King. I can see why they sent Costas away. They probably don't have enough leather chairs there to have all of those people in the studios in New York. Well, I love Bob Costas. I think he's the best in the business. I don't know that this is really going to make a difference for me as a viewer having Bob Costas there or having him in the studio. I, I guess I always picture Bob Costas in the studio. So for me, it's not that big of a deal. Now, Dick Ebersol, the president of NBC, made sure president of NBC Sports made sure to say that, look, highlights are still going to be about half of the pregame show because NBC's paying a lot of money for the right to air those highlights. So they're going to still do highlights, and Olbermann and Patrick will be doing those. I like Dungy. I think Rodney Harrison's good. Peter King's great, too. I just think, gosh, you have so many people. I mean, what are those people going to break in with, 20 seconds of, of insight? A lot of egos there, too. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it works. I think, you know, Sunday Night Football has the best cast of characters. They do a great job. They usually have really good matchups, so it'll be interesting to watch. All right, coming up next, it's a tough economy, and there are several NBA teams doing some clever things to try and attract fans, rescaling the house. And then coming up in segment four, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, he'll join us. You're listening to Sports. Business Radio will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. Well, we were just telling you in our last segment how challenging it is in these economic times for CBS and NBC to sell spots during Two of the events that used to be slam dunks, the Super Bowl and the Winter Olympics coming up in Vancouver. Teams, golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, everyone feeling the pinch of the economy. And Nathan, two interesting uh, kind of promotions taking place 
in the NBA that we wanted to discuss during this segment this week. Number one, uh, the Portland Trailblazers. We're based in Portland. They're doing something clever. They're doing cheers to 40 years. They're celebrating 40 years in the NBA, and they've got some clever things going on. I know they've got a game coming up, I believe, on October 14th. It's going to be played in Memorial Coliseum where the team originally played before they moved to the Rose Garden where they play now, kind of going back to the old barn, and they're going to have uh, $19.70 tickets because, again, 1970, the year that the Blazers were founded. Well, and I think that, you know, they're doing something else cool. I always love it, no matter what sport it's in, when they wear the throwback jerseys. They're going to be wearing the throwback jerseys, the old Portland Bill Walton jersey that we all remember. And maybe it's just me because I live in Portland, but I see a lot of these jerseys still worn. And I know that they're throwbacks, but I think that that's always a really cool promotion. It's cool for the fans to see them wearing the vintage jerseys. And the Memorial Coliseum, you know, I've been there for a couple concerts and a few sporting events. It's still a pretty good venue to see uh, some events. It's pretty wild in there. So the one of the rules of thumb in sports business, especially if you're a team, is if you want some instant revenue, you do some merchandise. You know, you, you change the logo, you change, you go to the throwback jerseys. So, you know, this has as much to do about merchandise because merchandise is a big part of this too. Like you were saying, the hardwood classic jerseys. If you've seen the Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas highlights from the 1977 uh, championship winning team, you've seen the uh, old school uniforms and Maybe old school isn't as big as it was a few years ago when you had some of these retro jersey companies that were making a mint off of selling the old unis, but still, it has some appeal to it, and it's a different thing for your brand. Well, yeah, and the Rip City jersey is another one. I'm not as big of a fan of that, but you're right about merchandising. It's equivalent to when a uh, a player gets traded or signed by another team. Everybody wants to run out and get the latest and greatest, and especially in a city like Portland where it is the only professional sport, I mean, aside from some AAA baseball. So everybody's on board for the Blazers, and there's a, you know, a lot of support there. Yeah, I mean, you talk about jersey sales. Brett Favre goes to the Vikings. Well, Brett Favre's jersey is a hot seller right now. Michael Vick, even though he's got all the controversy surrounding him. His Eagles jersey, popular seller. You can pretty much go to the bank that Favre and Vick will be amongst the top five player jerseys when those numbers come out at the end of this year. So Blazers doing some interesting things and, again, rebranding uh, themselves and $19.70 tickets, which is always appealing to people in, in this economy, Nathan. Well, and I don't know, I mean, to now to play the devil's advocate a little bit, I don't know that this promotion is something that everybody's going to really embrace. You know, the jerseys, maybe people want to go out and get the retro jerseys because they think they're cool. The $19.70 tickets, that's a great promotion. But as far as a full 40th anniversary for the entire season, you really need some special stuff to sustain it. And here we're talking about two things. We're talking about jerseys. We're talking about the game at the Memorial Coliseum. But I'd like to see what else they're going to do throughout the season. I know they have announced everything. They've got a fundraiser they've, for, uh, you know, they've got something called the Make It Better Fund, which most teams have some foundation or a fund. You know, the Jimmy Fund is so well known with the Red Sox. So they're going to do a fundraising event, and it's going to go to the Make It Better Fund, and they're going to have a lot of their former players there, which you would expect, players that have played for the organization over the past 40 years. So kind of a heritage night, which is good. Especially here in Portland, that plays very well. Sometimes in other cities it wouldn't play as well. But, you know, it's 
kind of the the stuff you would expect from a, a 40th or 50th year anniversary. Well, yeah, and I, and I would expect that at some point uh, that championship team or at least members of that team are going to come back in some capacity and, uh, you know, walk out on half court and raise, you know, wave to the crowd. But I think it'd be great to get them out and have them play like a, a fun exhibition halftime game. I know they're probably all. Uh, yeah, you'd probably <laughs> have some torn ACLs in that game. <laughs> but it'd get me out to the game. That's why they don't have the Legends game at All-Star Weekend anymore for the NBA guys. After uh, Norm Nixon tore his knee up, they said, up, ah, guys are too old to play. Let's go with the uh, rookie sophomore This isn't game. golf. All right. Here's the other thing that I really like this week. The Miami Heat. I've, I've talked about this for a long time. I mean, basically, the world is about supply and demand, right? If there's... You know, if there's a hot ticket, you're going to pay more for it. If it's not as hot, you, you probably want to pay less for it. That's essentially what the Miami Heat are going to do with their ticket prices for the upcoming season. They're the Heat. So they've got the hot, hotter, and hottest ticket prices. So if you're going to a game on a Tuesday in February against Minnesota, you're not going to pay as much as if you go to a game uh, against the Dallas Mavericks on a Friday night in February. So they're scaling it. You're going to pay more to see LeBron James and Kobe Bryant than you're going to pay to see uh, Michael Redd with the Milwaukee Bucks or Baron Davis and the LA Clippers come to town. For years, teams that are bad have tried to market the other team's players. They essentially say, our players stink, so come see the superstars playing on the other team. Well, what the Heat are doing here is they're saying, our players are good, Dwayne Wade, one of the best in the in the league, but we understand that we can probably get more for a seat to see Kobe Bryant and LeBron James than we can for a seat to see, like I said, uh, you know, Baron Davis and the Clippers. No knock against Baron Davis, but who would you rather see, the Clippers or the Lakers? Most people would say the Lakers. Well, before I give my opinion here, is this already set in stone before the season, or is it changing throughout the season? No, this is set in stone. So uh, there's 15 games designated as hot, 19 designated as hotter, and seven designated as the hottest. The NBA, which hadn't done these types of things in the past, has signed off on this. Look, the NBA has really been clever in this. One of the things for the last 17 years, they didn't allow hard liquor sponsors. So now the Lakers, the Heat, several other teams have gone out and gotten very lucrative deals with hard liquor sponsors who are getting the rotating courtside signage, which is some of the most valuable real estate that any NBA team can have. So they realize our teams are in a tough financial time if someone's willing to pay a premium price for a ticket or for a sponsorship, whether it be a hard liquor company, which we said no to for the last 17 years, or someone who's going to pay $5,000 for a court seat to watch Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant go head-to-head, they're being flexible well, on that. Well, here's here's my opinion on this. First of all, I think it's risky in a sense that if you're the Heat and all of a sudden you've designated these ticket prices and then you get a team, hypothetically the Clippers, they get hot all season. They're number one team in basketball now you're charging less from a business perspective. I know, I, I get, I know where you're going to go. But you're go playing the odds. I mean, come on, the I, Clippers I, aren't going to be like one of the best teams. But we've, there could be some surprise we've seen teams. Some surprise teams come sure. out. Uh, the other problem I have with this, and I don't know if uh, if they've actually raised the ticket prices for the hottest games as to uh, above where they're normally at. But here's the thing: 
there's kid, we talk on the show a lot in the past about fathers not being able to take their sons and daughters right. and, to, to these games who want to see LeBron. They want to see Kobe Bryant. And all of a sudden, now what you've done is you've taken th- the seven games where there's going to be those superstar players, and now you're charging even more for those tickets. And so now it's making it even harder for that, that middle-class dad, the blue-collar dad, to take his son or daughter to see these superstar athletes. So I guess that's a little bit frustrating Bobby, for Bobby, our producer, weigh in. But it's going to be the only game they go to all year, so I really don't think it matters if they have to pay. Actually, listen, college football teams have done this for years. Pro football teams have done this for years. It's not a big deal. And, you know, to your point about, hey, what if the Clippers catch? Great. It's a value then to go see a really good team at the lowest ticket price. I do agree with Bobby. I mean, obviously you have your core audience, which is your season ticket holders, and they're paying you know, to come to a lot of games. But I think Bobby's right in that a lot of fathers and sons or fathers and daughters, in my case, are going to go to that one game a year. We want to see Dwayne Wade match up with Kobe, or we want to see Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. We want to see when Shaq comes back to town. They're not going to go to a lot of games. And again, if you're running a business and you know a lot of people want to come to one event, which is one of the seven hottest events, you're going to be able to charge more money for that, just like a concert. I mean, some people are going to pay more to go see Billy Joel and Elton John, like I'm doing and I think you're doing, Nathan, than you're going to pay to see, you know, some local act. It's supply and demand. You're not going to pay as much to see a local act as you are to see icons and and the icons are coming into you know American Airlines arena it, it's an interesting thing it'll be interesting to watch I see your point but I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see is there any kind of a backlash I don't think they're going to be that I don't many think there'll be a backlash teams. no I don't think there'll be a backlash about it I'm more concerned about the father daughter combo father son that wanted to go to the game and then all of a sudden it's twenty dollars more expensive and that's well the NBA mandates that there's got to be a certain amount of ten dollar tickets so hopefully those people can can buy those tickets Send me a tweet, SB Radio. What are your thoughts on the heat scaling the house? Hot, hotter, and hottest. SB Radio. Send me a tweet. Coming up next, Paul Swangard. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere. And the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul's joined us many times before. Paul, thanks for taking time this week. Always great to be on with you, Brian. 
So, Paul, DirecTV and Versus, they're at odds. They're having a showdown. Uh, Tuesday is the deadline for them to get a deal done, or Versus will not be on DirecTV anymore. What's at stake here? Well, I mean, it's it's another example that we've seen, uh, you know, in many different uh, cases, even with local uh, cable companies and, and local sports uh, sports television stations, you know, trying to – you know, use the leverage of having specific sports programming on your channel and trying to, you know, gain more of a subscriber fee, which is, you know, the lifeblood of the economy of, of, of the cable or satellite television system. And I think, you know, Versus has grown and developed, added some critical programming in their minds, the NHL, Tour de France, uh, among, you know, several things that they offer college football as well. And they're now trying to stick their neck out and say, hey, you know, we, we'd like more money from your subscribers, DirecTV, and they're, you know, they're pushing the envelope. My sense of this particular case is they're probably not in a posi- position yet to have enough leverage to win this deal. And I think uh, if I were to predict it, I would say that uh, DirecTV will win this one out and would be happy to live without them until they'll come back to them with the deal that they already had. Yeah, I would totally agree with you there because – you know, if I'm versus and I've got deals with the entities you just mentioned, especially the NHL, you know, how do you go to the NHL and say we just lost several million subscribers on DirecTV because we couldn't get a deal done? That's That would not be a good thing for them to have to go to any of these entities that they've got big deals with and say we just lost that many viewers, wouldn't you think? Well, yeah, exactly, Brian. And I think we've we've already heard in 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 the case of the NHL, even the Players Association saying that that the rank and file is is you know still somewhat disappointed in the decision by the NHL to partner with with versus believing that the the visibility for the sport has been hindered by that deal. And now to have a situation where you could run the risk of you know the game of the week NHL not even being available to a a growing and fairly substantial, you know, portion of the country that are satellite uh, TV subscribers just doesn't do much to uh, endear uh, versus with uh, with the NHL. So I I would expect that you know they're they're testing the waters, but uh, they'll find the water a little too hot and 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 be satisfied with the deal that they have moving forward. So Tuesday is a deadline for that. We'll keep our eyes on that and have more news for you next week on Sports Business Radio. All right. Phoenix Coyotes, we'll stick with the NHL here for a moment. Uh, what a mess there. I mean, looks like Balsillie's going to get the team. Then it's Reinsdorf. Now it looks like the, the league is trying to take ownership of the team. What's going on in Phoenix, and what do you think is going to – how's this all going to play out with the Coyotes, Paul? Well, the word cluster is the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> in, in this case. Uh, you know, in the Reinsdorf deal, I think the situation is that so much information leaked out um, in the in the legal process about what the city of Glendale was going to be willing to do with Reinsdorf to keep the team in the city. I mean, you know, we've got several different moving parts. We've got a city that basically is, you know, desperate to keep some sort of professional team in a building that barely has anything going on in it other than the NHL. You've got the, you know, the league itself not wanting to, um, you know, face the the, the the PR nightmare of having a team uh, which has already gone into bankruptcy have to relocate and abandon a city that had been a, an important ingredient to their, you know, na- national expansion. And you know, at the end of the day, I think this is a you know a, a real disappointing uh, storyline for the NHL when in fact 
you know, perhaps the right thing in in hindsight is that this team probably shouldn't have been in Phoenix to begin with, and and moving a team back up to Canada, which is what Basili wants to do, is probably in the best interest of the league long term. And there was a uh, a survey that was released today, you know, asking Phoenix citizens whether they even thought the team would survive in the market, and most people in the market don't even think the team's going to be there. So. You know, writing's on the wall. The big loser here, obviously, is Glendale. Anybody who's been down to Jobbing.com and the the development in and around that facility, along with the Phoenix uh, Cardinals Stadium, uh, you know, it's it's a huge um, loss if that team disappears because the anchor tenant to a mixed-use development disappears, and uh, and and that whole city's uh, investment in that facility could dry up once the team, uh, you know, leaves for greener pastures, or in this case. Uh, colder ice in uh, in Hamilton or uh, southern Ontario. So the season is quickly approaching. Uh, when might this story come to an end? Is it going to happen before the beginning of the upcoming season? Well, I, you know, I feel bad for anyone who's in the business of trying to sell hockey tickets in. Uh, oh boy, in in Arizona right now. But you know, I think that the, the courts are are trying to move this process through as quick as possible. Um, I would anticipate at this point that now with the NHL coming in with its own bid, that we'll probably see the team remain in Phoenix, at least in the short term. But, you know, once again, this is, yeah, and we've talked about this before, Brian, the, the NHL needs to wise up and realize that, you know, the strength of this league is in certain parts of the country. I can respect and understand that they want to grow their national footprint, but, you know, when the writing's on the wall, particularly in this economic environment, you know, go retrench your business in the places where you own a stronger market share. And moving this team to another part of the, uh, in this case, southern Ontario, you know, enhances the base of the uh, of the foundation of your league. And I think in this economy, that's the right approach. And um, you know, albeit that I think some people will miss hockey in in Phoenix, uh, most probably won't. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Phoenix. I'm a Phoenix native, and you know, I can tell you just from going back there and growing up there that the NHL was never very big there, and I think, like you said earlier, it'd be much bigger in Hamilton, and there's many more people clamoring for NHL hockey in Hamilton than there are in Phoenix. So if you're the NHL, like you said, it makes more sense to take your brand where it's wanted instead of where it's not. All right. Let's talk about Brett Favre for a moment. Uh, this week, you know, we see his Sears commercial broke, which I think is pretty funny. It's on our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. He's also in a new Wranglers jeans campaign with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Paul, Brett Favre has gone back and forth so many times. Is he believable anymore? Is his brand tainted? Or are people going to say, you know what, he's still an icon and we're going to buy his product? Well, Brian, I think he actually... You, you brought up the perfect world, which is believability, which is it, which is the inherent value of a potential in, in endorsement. And I think not only are we hearing now that the players aren't necessarily uh, believing in Brett Favre in Minnesota, but I, I think there are fans out there now who, you know, say, hey, you know, if this guy can't make up his mind about whether he's going to retire or not, how am I ever going to believe that this guy really believes in the products he's pushing? So. Um, I think there's a real issue there that, that, you know, he will obviously bring visibility to brands. And that is, you know, a strategy that a lot of these companies will employ in associating themselves with Brett Favre. But when it moves up the food chain of why you would use athlete endorsers, you know, that believability factor is is for a lot of these brands very critical. And I simply have 
you know, now concerned that I think most consumers don't know whether to believe Brett Favre or not. And uh, his pattern behavior doesn't help him uh, when it comes to the endorsement income that he has certainly enjoyed uh, throughout his Hall of Fame career. We're joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. We've got a few minutes left. Paul, you're getting ready to depart on a trip that I made with you guys a few years ago. You and the students at the Warsaw Center are going to China. What do you guys expect to see over there? And tell us about who you might be meeting with uh, on your trip. Well, it, it, what a difference a year makes. I know it's been a couple of years, Brian, since you uh, went over there and enjoyed the food so much. I mean, that's really <laughs> I'll bring you back some takeout, by the way. Thank you. Um, you know, a year ago, we were sitting in the bird's nest and, and watching the Paralympic Games with um, Pistorius from uh, from Africa, the, the Blade Runner. If you remember him from last year, he was kind of the story of the Paralympic Games and and now we're going to go back to a bird's nest that has had only one event in it since the Olympic Games were completed, and that was an opera. Um, we, we we hope to see, uh, you know, the momentum that, that everyone talked about in the wake of the Olympics being held in Beijing. We're going to be meeting with Major League Baseball, with the NBA, um, Nike, Adidas, Li Ning, the, the Chinese brand, of course, uh, most notable because their founder, Li Ning, was the one who lit the torch in the opening ceremonies in Beijing last August. Um, what we're sensing as we put together this, uh, you know, this two-week study tour for our graduate students is um, there isn't much momentum. Some of it related to the economy, certainly, but you know, perhaps the the promise of what the Olympic Games would do to the sports industry in China just hasn't been realized. You know, IMG canceled an LPGA event over there. Uh, some of the events that were scheduled to happen after the Olympics have been canceled for one reason or another. I think the, the, the one bright storyline in the midst of all this concern is the NBA, that they had, to their credit, uh, invested a lot of time, energy, and people in developing their business plan for NBA China well before the games were even staged. And uh, the Olympic venue that was used for basketball will now be an NBA-caliber venue. They're building a similar facility in Shanghai that we'll have a chance to look at when we're there. And I, I still believe, and, and you and I know the, the brilliance of Commissioner Stern, um, I think the NBA will come out of this as the big winner for sports business, at least from a foreign perspective in China. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of us who know David as well as we do would be surprised to know that he'll come out the big winner. It just it just proves that his his strategic vision is something that a lot of commissioners and a lot of different sports leagues can learn a lot from. So I just got back from the Philippines, and I'll tell you this, Paul, I mean, we saw – and you've seen several times how big the NBA's brand is in China, as you just mentioned. I think the next part of that portion of the world where the NBA is really going to sink their teeth and grow the game even more is in the Philippines. And the Philippines is one of three countries in the world where basketball is the number one sport. And I couldn't believe how passionate the fans were and how knowledgeable they were in the Philippines about NBA basketball. They watch all the games. They know the history of the game. It was really remarkable. So just emphasizing the point that you just made, the NBA has done a wonderful job at marketing their sport in Asia where there's so many people. Well, and it's not just Asia, but I think Asia, the teaching moment here for your listeners is it, it, 
it is about cultural relevancy, and, and the NBA had the benefit of, of basketball being introduced to the Asian market, you know, a hundred years ago, and, and it really was evolution to get the sport into the fabric of the culture in China and other markets like the Philippines that you mentioned. You know, they're starting to do that now in in places like India and. For the other sports that are trying to, you know, engage the populations of these uh, emerging markets, what they have to realize is it's going to take a long time. And I'm certainly thinking that's what we're going to hear from the folks in Major League Baseball, who on the day that we'll be visiting with them will also be opening their first baseball academy in China. So that you know they realize that you know it's in this case even in a country that's seen a lot of revolution it's really evolution not revolution when it comes to developing a, a culture for your sport uh, in a market that that really sees it as uh, a, a foreign entity at least in in 2009 Paul is there a place that we can follow your journeys in China I know you guys do a blog are you going to be blogging is there any place we can uh, keep up with what you and the students are going to be doing uh, while you're over in China Absolutely, Brian. Well, we've you know we, we've embraced as much of the social networking world as we can. If you go to warsawcenter.com, you can follow us on our blog. But as well, uh, we will be uh, using Twitter during the trip. And uh, U of O Warsaw Center is the the Twitter account you can follow as well. And we're also on Facebook. We have a uh, a fan page there that people can follow our uh, our travels, not only in China but. Uh, as we transition back to the start of the school year, a lot of exciting things going on at the center. And we, we try to introduce uh, through those uh, channels uh, stories that we're following, just as you do on Sports Business um, Radio's blog. Um, it, it's just a fascinating business and, and a lot to learn. And if we can help your listeners learn a little bit more along the way, that's certainly what we try to help in, in supporting what you've done, which has been a great resource to folks who'd like to follow the sports business on a weekly basis. Well, Paul, it's always great to catch up with you. Have safe travels through China. Eat some tremendous food for me while you're over there and uh, better your stomach than mine. Shay Shay, as they say, Brian. Shay Shay, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. So NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is expected to weigh in on the snafu from the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium. If you watched the game last Friday, so the first game ever at the new Cowboys Stadium, you saw that the Tennessee Titans punter punted the ball and it hit the new 80-yard long HD screen that hangs above the field. Now, there's a few things about this. Number one, obviously, 
you know, all this planning goes into building this over $1 billion stadium. Well, one of the, the most common things is a punt during a game. No one tested the punt to see if it would hit the scoreboard. The other thing is, I think I'd be a little freaked out if I was playing on the field and there's this 80-yard long scoreboard right over my head. I mean, usually you're used to playing with blue sky above your head. You're playing with an an 80-yard scoreboard over your head. Imagine if that thing fell loose or something. I mean, that, that would be scary. Well, I mean, I don't know that I'd go that far because look at every NBA team with their giant scoreboards hanging above half court. I mean, if certainly if that fell, it'd be a, a tragedy. But I think it's unbelievable. I think they're going to have to take it down. I don't know how you can't take it down at this point if someone's hit it on the very first game. Well, they're not going to take it down. What they can do is they can raise it by about 15 feet. I guess they've got about 15 feet of leeway, which hopefully would be enough for avoiding future punts. But, uh, you know, it's made the NFL uh, Rules Committee have to scramble and figure out, okay, you know, what are we going to do here if the ball hits the scoreboard and all those kinds of things. But it just goes to show you that sometimes all this planning goes into a new facility and sometimes the most common problems are not examined before you open the facility. I'd love to know how much that scoreboard was. Oh, <laughs> you don't even want to know. I mean, I'm sure it's hundreds of millions of dollars. Beautiful scoreboard. Just uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do to avoid the, the punting problem. All right. Thank you to our guest, Paul Swangard, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Follow me on Twitter, SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.